Finding Home is a podcast series presented by the Irish American Archive Society. The Society is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to research, present, and preserve information about the history of the Irish in Cleveland. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy. Greetings. I'm Margaret Lynch of the Irish American Archives Society. Welcome to Finding Home. It's a podcast series about the history of the Irish in Cleveland. I have been speaking about famine-era immigration for several episodes now, and I've discussed how the growth of the Catholic diocese was a sign of the growing presence of Irish immigrants in Cleveland during the famine years. Another sign was the emergence of Irish organizations. In this episode, I'm going to focus on the appearance of a local militia company called the Hibernian Guards. There's really no equivalent in America today for a 19th century militia company. They were part army reserves, part local police force, and they rose up in the aftermath of the War of 1812. Gotta stay ready in case the British come back, right? But 30 or 40 years later, militia companies had become largely ceremonial parade units. They might hold weekend military encampments where they conducted military exercises, but they spent most of their time on precision marching drills and performed in parades and other civic events. Cleveland's oldest and longest-lasting militia was organized in 1837. That was the Cleveland Grays, whose uniforms were, you guessed it, gray. By tradition, the Cleveland Grays were native-born. I've already mentioned that in an earlier episode that German and Irish immigration waves overlapped in the late 1840s, at the height of the famine in Ireland and in the aftermath of Germany's failed unification attempt in 1848. It's not surprising that a German militia company arose at that time in Cleveland and an Irish one. The German company was called the Jaegers, meaning hunters or fighters. The Irish company was called the Hibernian Guards. The earliest newspaper notices about the Hibernian Guards don't emphasize a particularly Irish identity. For instance, the Hibernian Guards marched in a citywide Fourth of July parade in 1847. They held their first banquet in October of 1848 and they took part in military exercises with the Cleveland Grays and the German Jaegers. No photograph or print depicting the Hibernian Guards is known to survive today. That's too bad because a daguerreotype did exist, an early form of photograph. A Mr. North made a daguerreotype of the Hibernian Guards in front of the old courthouse on Public Square in 1850. We know about it because a short-lived newspaper called the Daily True Democrat mentioned the photo in the newspaper. It's the quote, best we have seen, the writer exclaimed. Unfortunately, this important early photograph has been lost to history. The Hibernian Guards probably wore military-style uniforms, though, as the Cleveland Grays did. When the Guards marched in a parade, their leaders seemed to have ridden on horseback. The company seems to have rotated captains on an annual basis. The Hibernian Guards were often noted as participating in many types of community-wide events, but they also became increasingly associated with the city's celebration of St. Patrick's Day. In fact, they began to take the lead on St. Patrick's Day. The Hibernian Guards may have been a way of letting the community at large know that the Irish belonged in Cleveland, that the Irish were fitting in, that they were participating. But an Irish militia company may also have had a protective element to let the community, that same community, know that the Irish would not allow prejudice and hate crimes to drive them away. 
In any event, the Hibernian Guards emerged at precisely the time when famine immigrants were swelling the number of Irish-born people in Cleveland. The Guards undoubtedly projected Irish pride, as well as conveyed support for Irish nationhood. Throughout the 19th century, there was a sort of back and forth between religious leadership of the Irish community versus whatever word you want to use, lay, secular, or non-religious leadership. Before the famine years in 1842, it was Father Peter McLaughlin, the Cleveland's only resident priest at the time, who led the city's earliest public celebration of St. Patrick's Day. The day's events in 1842 started with Mass at St. Mary's on the Flats, clearly signaling St. Patrick's Day as a religious holiday. But Father McLaughlin was removed from his post in Cleveland just before St. Patrick's Day in 1846. The famine Irish were just beginning to arrive and would continue to arrive, requiring the formation of the Cleveland Catholic Diocese in 1847. However, Cleveland's first bishop, Father Amadeus Rapp, was a French priest, not an Irish one. Leadership in celebrating Irish pride was not going to come from Bishop Rapp. In fact, Bishop Rapp would have preferred not to encourage ethnic pride at all. He wanted all his parishioners to be Catholic first, Irish or German a distant second. Bishop Rapp did not lead famine relief efforts. He wasn't inclined to continue an annual St. Patrick's Day parade, and he certainly did not organize the Hibernian Guards. The impetus for all that came from lay leaders. The Hibernian Guards seem to have taken charge of the St. Patrick's Day Parade in about 1849. At least, that's when the local newspapers first took notice of their participation. On St. Patrick's Day 1849, the Plain Dealer reported that the Hibernian Guards were out in, quote, full feather. The Cleveland Herald newspaper also commented that their, quote, display was one of unusual brilliancy, end quote. Similar notices were repeated each of the coming years. The Hibernian Guards also launched an annual St. Patrick's Day banquet in 1849. The Hibernian Guard banquets featured a mix of American and Irish patriotism. It's in fact the same mix that had been on display during Father McLaughlin's time. In 1851, for instance, the Hibernian Guards celebrated the, quote, Union, whole and indivisible, end quote. But they also toasted Ireland, quote, May she soon be the home of the free. End quote. Many Irish immigrants carried with them a strong sense of the injustice they had experienced at the hands of the British in their native land. Both before and during the famine, many of them were veterans or at least sympathizers of one or another failed attempt to rebel against British rule. Earlier immigrants were inspired by the United Irishmen a nationalist society formed in 1798 in the aftermath of the French Revolution. Robert Emmett and Wolf Tone were among the leaders. They were members of what was called the Anglo-Irish Ascendancy, families of English Protestant landowners who had been living in Ireland for several generations. The United Irishmen led uprisings throughout Ireland in 1798. The pike-wielding rebels of Wexford, a town in southeast Ireland, held out the longest. The Irish ballad, The Rising of the Moon, with a line, For the Pikes Must Be Together at the Rising of the Moon, celebrates the pluck of the Wexford men. I have mentioned Father Don Cousins's great-grandfather, Patrick Cousins, in an earlier episode. Patrick Cousins was also a Wexford man. The memory of the fierce Wexford uprising stayed with him throughout his life. The Cousins family has a copy of a letter that Patrick wrote to the mayor of Wexford, 
He enclosed a $5 contribution to help erect a memorial in Wexford Town Square to those who died there in the uprising of 1798. Although the uprising of 1798 was put down, one of the leaders, Robert Emmert, escaped capture. He took another ill-fated stab at rebellion a few years later, but in 1803, Emmett was captured, tried, and executed for high treason. Followers of Robert Emmett also made their way to Cleveland. I've spoken of Cleveland tugman Patrick Smith in earlier episodes. His 1902 Plain Dealer obituary, a century after Emmett's death, reported that Patrick Smith's father, John Smith, had, quote, been a member of the party of Robert Emmett and had sought refuge in this country after the defeat of Emmett's party by the British militia, end quote. Though John's son Patrick was only about nine years old when he came to this country, the son picked up the father's cause of Irish nationalism. Each generation in Ireland seemed to have a failed attempt at rebellion. Next up were the so-called Young Irelanders. Outraged by the British government's callous and ineffective laissez-faire reaction to the famine, the Young Irelanders rose up in 1848. After the rebellion collapsed, several of the leaders were exiled to Van Diemen's Land, present-day Tasmania. Some of the leaders and some fervent adherents made their way to the U.S., including Cleveland, in the early 1850s. The first leaders of the Hibernian Guards were people who had been in Cleveland before the famine. In fact, two of the Grand Marshals for the first St. Patrick's Day Parade in 1842 also served as captains of the Hibernian Guards. The first, William Kinney, was born in about 1811 in Kilkenny, Ireland. He arrived in Cleveland in 1840 when he was about 30 years old and became a merchant tailor here. The second, William Delaney, worked as a house mover when he first arrived. Delaney ran for city constable in 1848 and 1850 and belonged to the Democratic Club of the Second Ward. Another pre-famine name shows up with the Hibernian Guards. It's the name of Iron Foundry owner Thomas Manning. A Manning, who I've spoken about in earlier episodes also, served on the organizing committee for the St. Patrick's Day Banquet sponsored by the Hibernian Guards in 1854 and 1855. The iron manufacturer was also a strong nationalist. As Manning's obituary would later report, quote, As an Irishman, too, he was at all times deeply interested in the affairs of the mother country and was prominent in all proper movements that sought to obtain justice for that distressed country. End quote. A new name on the 1855 banquet committee was that of James Barron. Barron seems to have arrived in Cleveland in the later famine years. Serving at first on the staff of the city infirmary, James Barron was active in Democratic Party politics in Cleveland. He presided over the St. Patrick's Day Banquet in 1857, the Banquet of the Hibernian Guards. His first toast was a conventional one to the Hibernian Guards. And I quote, May they ever prosper. According to the account in the Cleveland Plain Dealer, he then added a more cryptic toast. Quote, to Ireland and America, which will soon be united by a cable that will tell tales of each other every day. End quote. Interesting and prophetic. James Barron's place in Cleveland was fleeting. Fire destroyed several warehouses that he came to own in Cleveland Center, the city's original commercial district at the terminus of the canal. After the fire, Barron decided to go out west in about 1863, joining a brother, Richard Barron, in California. The brothers both acquired shipping interests in and around San Francisco. 
Another new but more abiding name appears in Hibernian Guard ads in the mid and later 1850s, that of Patrick K. Walsh. Walsh was almost always identified as P.K. Walsh in the newspapers of the day. Walsh was born in Dundalk in County Louth in 1818. He immigrated to the U.S. in about 1856 and came to Cleveland shortly thereafter. He had been an active supporter of the Young Ireland movement in his youth. In Cleveland, he operated a boot and shoe store and quickly joined the Hibernian Guards. His name will reappear in coming episodes. P.K. Walsh found many like-minded folks in Cleveland. There was a banquet here in 1852 to commemorate Thomas Francis Maher, one of the young Ireland exiles. The keynote speaker here was Professor J.R. Fitzgerald, a young Ireland supporter who also headlined most of the Hibernian Guard banquets here. Fitzgerald had an unusual background. Trinity College in Dublin opened up to Catholics in 1793, but was the longtime bastion of the Protestant Anglo-Irish ascendancy. Fitzgerald had been educated at Trinity College, and he served for 12 years as parliamentary reporter for the London Times. He came to Cleveland in about 1849 and opened a select or private classical and English school here. A sometime actor, a justice of the peace, an eloquent orator, Fitzgerald became, in the words of his 1865 obituary, quote, an honored resident of the city. An Irishman by birth, his heart, always true to its nature, has beat in sympathy with the cause of his fellow countrymen, end quote. With the learned Fitzgerald as their spokesman, the Hibernian guards intended to claim a place for themselves among the native-born citizens of Cleveland. The native-born citizens were nonetheless quick to put the Irish-born folks in their place, although the message was sometimes delivered politely. For instance, at a Hibernian Guards banquet in 1851, Mayor William Case praised the Irish for building the canal and building the city. After speaking of the, quote, part which the hard hands of Irishmen had performed in our midst, end quote, he went on to salute, quote, Irish eloquence, Irish bayonets, and Irish spades, the strongest weapons God ever made, end quote. The Plain Dealer reporter added approvingly that, quote, the Irishmen of Cleveland have always done much to honor their country by their industry and good conduct, approvingly but somewhat patronizingly. If the Hibernian guards were still on probation in the minds of the native-born in 1851, they were soon to do much more to honor their adopted and native countries in the coming years. But that's a story for another episode. Today, I hope you'll remember the names of all the Irish nationalists who began to make their home in Cleveland during the famine years. James Barron, P.K. Walsh, and Professor J.R. Fitzgerald joined like-minded folks who were already here. William Kinney, William Delaney, Patrick Smith, and Thomas Manning. Informing the Hibernian guards, these Irish-born immigrants gave the Irish a more visible and proud presence in Cleveland. I'm Margaret Lynch. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. You've been listening to Finding Home, a podcast series presented by the Irish American Archive Society of Cleveland. Find out more about the Society or get in touch at irisharchives.org.